Hey, Blueprinters! KJ here with a kitten on my desk and a plan for talking to you all about structure. Um, the sound of my voice is making the kitten wiggle, so hopefully all chaos and crashing teacups isn't going to break out here, but I'm going to do my best. So, so many of the blueprint exercises are pretty much the same for fiction, nonfiction, um, or there's a lot of crossover. This one, um, maybe a little less so. So I'm going to switch it up and talk a nonfiction first, although there'll be some, some overlap, lots of overlap probably. So the thing about finding your structure in nonfiction that I love is that Picking a structure, um, which is probably going to involve starting to figure out and find your table of contents, tends to force you to go back to the earlier exercises if you didn't do them fully. So um, if you don't know what you really want the book to be about, if you don't really know who you're trying to reach. If you didn't really make a choice about um, how, you know, which angle you're going to take on this topic, this is going to be the exercise that makes you do that. So we talk a lot about the book, The Art of the Book Proposal by Eric Meisel. Um, and I have pulled it out here because this is one of the places where it is just solid gold. So one of the things that he talks about is this idea of um, secularizing your content, which is a, a funny, it's kind of a, a, a strange way to put it, but, but you'll get it in a second. So when you make something existential in his world, it's more of a philosophical book. It's a broad, um, overview and a big take on a topic. And the more secular you make it, the more granular you're making about the topic. So what he um, gives as an example is the idea, and I, I think this is probably why you hear me talk about rowing books so often. This is one of the pieces of his book that really stuck with me the hardest. So he talks about, um, his example is an avid ocean rower who takes her skull out into the harbor every day and periodically rows into the ocean, wants to write a book about rowing. So he takes this from the sort of most secular, most granular idea to the most philosophical idea. So it starts with the idea of encouraging women to adopt ro ocean rowing as a lifetime spot, sport, sorry. And he gives a title, he gives a table of contents, titles A Woman's Guide to Ocean Rowing, Everything You Need to Know to Make Ocean Rowing Your Lifetime Sport, and the Table of Contents is Why You Should Row, The Basics, Ocean versus River, Choosing Your Boat, Boat Safety, etc. So then he gets a little less secular. He calls it, and this is just him, you know, making stuff up, Rowing Toward God, The Seven Principles of Sacred Rowing. So this is rowing as a spiritual practice. So on the one, one hand, there's going to be more philo philosophy, more existentialism in here, right? But it's also a, got a really clear um, target for the how-to piece of it. So when I think about his, his 
continuum of, of secular to existential, what I notice is that the more secular the book is, as he puts it, and this is not, although he has God in here, it's not really about God. It's about um, the specificity, really, of the topic that you're, vers- you're addressing versus the, you know, the more philosophical end of it. Anyway, the more secular or the more specific the topic is, the easier it's going to be to come up with your table of contents. So the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because I think it can kind of become a little bit of a cheat for you. So just to to finish up the Eric Mizell examples, his next example is he calls it secular by virtue of an organizing metaphor. And it's um, organizing the book around a particular, the history of a particular race. So applying a single story to the whole idea of why, both why rowing is great and why it changes people. And then his totally philosophical example is uh, a collection of essays about rowing, um, reflections on skimming over water. It's much more various pieces of philosophy on a, on on rowing. And I'm I'm flaking, I'm, I'm sort of drifting off in my voice here because I'm thinking he could have even gone one further and done, um, you know, I guess he did rowing as a spiritual practice and he, he felt like you could really organize that practically and I agree with him. But so I guess what I'm trying to say here is if you are an author who wants to make a big universal point about something. Finding a specific um, track to take it on can help you find your structure. So say that our author about rowing really wants to talk about how um, her time rowing on the ocean has given her a more meditative approach to life and helped her gain, you know, I don't know, peace and acceptance of other lifetime challenges. So here she might be sitting around thinking, I want to write not so much about the rowing, but about the peace and the way that it has changed me as a human. But to come back to that rowing piece of it is going to help her to find a structure to build like, you know, cause I'm writing a book about how I changed as a human, as I got older and more mature, that's way too big. It's way too broad. Um, so to say I'm writing a book about how rowing changed me a human, Ooh, better, much better. And then, you know, I'm writing a book that's uh, reflects my chronological change as I got, became a better rower. I also became a better human. Ooh, even better. But you can see you didn't lose any of the existential piece of that, right? You didn't lose any of the philosophy. What you gained was structure. Um, so the thing about this exercise is going to be if you've already sort of resolved that, then it's probably just going to drop out really quickly. You know, if you, if you really know what this is about, but if on the other hand, you're still, um, you know, sort of hashing wildly at a broader topic, then 
this is going to force you to see that, oops, you really haven't had, haven't found it yet. And I'm going to use as an example of something that I'm working on, I have to give a speech and people who were, were in um, the ride along this last week will recognize me whining about this speech. But broadly speaking, I've promised to give a speech about happiness in books. That's way too broad. So my take had been, okay, I'm going to give a speech about why um, why fun books are important. That's still a little too broad. And then I got all confused when someone, the, the host of the speech, kind of changed it to be about happiness in general. Like that's backing me even up even further. Like, no, ah, happiness in general, I was going to talk about happiness in books and then specifically, you know, about, about reading books that make you happy. So then I got all caught up by um, believing that they wanted this broader topic, which probably they don't. They don't even care. As long as I show up and talk for 20 minutes about um, something that is going to interest their audience, they're going to be happy. So I just need to go back to them and be like, no, 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 no. This is not a grand existential talk about happiness. This is a narrow and specific talk about uh, choosing to read what makes you happy. And then it becomes about happiness through that structure. All right. Thank you for being with me uh, during this moment of realization that I need to go back and revise everything that I've done on this so far. All right. So that's, that's the nonfiction structural piece of this. And as a fiction, as a novelist, um, you may be thinking, well, this has nothing to do with me. You know, novels don't have tables of contents like this. And that's true, although sometimes they have chapter headings and sometimes they have chapter headings because of uh, what the chapter is about or who the whose perspective the chapter is from and things like that. And so in fiction, yeah, this really, it, it really is, there's a lot of differences and yet, and yet, and yet. If you give some thought to that question of philosophical versus um, practical, you might find yourself going back to last week's blueprint exercise and thinking about theme and the specificity of it. And you might find that thinking about how you're going to structure the book um, it helps you to find figure out what belongs in it and what doesn't. What is on point for the story that you're trying to tell, both as a plot and um, as an emotional arc. And it it just it may I I I think thinking about your table of contents and maybe giving some names to those chapters, even though you're never gonna share those names for, with the readers, is a really good way to almost come back to that, um, or, or that to almost sort of get a, a head start on the outline that you're going to make a little bit later. So to kind of just do even, you know, five points that are within the book to, to, to be like, here's the, you know, the, the point of no return or the inciting incident. Here's the middle. Here's the, um, the big screw up. Here's the all is lost moment. Here's the sudden realization. Here's the ending. 
like just to list those out as a little bit of a table of contents might be helpful. And then um, within the context of structure in a novel, um, I often find that the structure is very dependent on the point of view. So structures about point of view and pacing in in fiction. And I think some of this is probably going to bleed into the nonfiction ideas as well. But when it comes to point of view, you've got kind of some different things to think about. There's the, you may have a single point of view, I'm waving my arms around here. You may have a single point of view through the entire book. The entire book may be first person from a single person. It might be first person from multiple people, in which case you better um, know how to uh, have, make sure the reader knows whose voice they're in right away. Um, I, I love chapter headings for that. But, um, or it may be third person from a single point of view, third person close. It may be third person from multiple points of view, two, four, six, uh, who knows how many. Um, it may alternate by chapter. And to create a book that works that way, you have to design a structure so that, you know, like I said in the show notes here, third person or first person, single protagonist, straight chronological is the blue jeans and white t-shirt of, or you know, white button down if you prefer, of book structure. It's clean, it's classic, it works so well, people almost don't notice it. If you're going beyond that, that's when you are going somewhere else. Beyond makes it sound like it's better, and that's not what I mean at all. Um, but if you're doing something different, then you really have to sit down and think, well, if I'm in Amanda's perspective, Amanda can't know such and such, so how am I going to move this chunk of the book forward? Now that I'm in May's perspective, um, I can't go back and reiterate what happened with Amanda uh, and I can't give you Amanda's perspective on what's happening now. So how am I going to make sure that you're still with Amanda when we go back to her? Or if you're doing a really big, um, lots of points of view, like the Jane Austen Society or Bloomsbury Girls, which were both by the same author, those are three, four, five sometimes POVs. And again, you can only give the reader what the person whose perspective you're sharing knows. So you get a lot more questions of structure when, when you're doing it that way. Um, and then another, <laughs> it's just, it this gets so complicated, but it's so great. So I just finished the Christie affair, which is on the one hand, first person, single protagonist, but on the other hand, the writer came up with some really clever ways to allow her first person single protagonist to tell you what that protagonist at least imagined that other people in the story were thinking and why they were doing the ways, the things that they did by making a, a story told from a future point of view, looking back on the past. So that is also a structural point, a structural choice. Are we riding along with the protagonist as they experience this? Or are we listening to the protagonist tell us what happened previously? And that doesn't mean is this in present tense or in past tense. Lots and lots of books are in third person closed past tense, but are not 
a story told by the protagonist after things happened, even though they're in past tense. So these are the kinds of considerations that you're you're making, and this is the kind of stuff you're playing with, and this is the kind of stuff you may go back and change later. Um, so my final, oh, and, and then there's, um, just because I'm talking about points of view, if you choose to use an omniscient point of view, which is actually getting quite trendy, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, Abby Waxman's Adult Assembly Required was total omniscient, head-hopping, um, story moves forward, but we, we can kind of hear the voices of, of anyone at almost any time. The arc was also that way. The mutual friend, um, I think that's Carter Baines. There's a lot, a lot of that voice, and it's almost like... It's almost like a social media voice where you're hearing a lot of different perspectives all at once. And maybe that's why it's something that's working a little better for readers now than it once did. So, but if you're making that choice and you could conceivably know everything at any moment, you kind of risk losing the point of the book, right? So you have to have some bigger if you're going to have a traditional arc and you're going to use that point, then you have to have some bigger thing that all of the people within the book are progressing towards. and Or you need to make a choice that what you're doing here is really riding along while maybe one person changes and but mostly we're just spending a lot of time in a world and that's kind of where abby waxman's adult assembly required falls it's almost more like did you love the bookish life of nina hill if so go bathe in that again for a while um there's a little bit of a story but you're never going to have much doubt about it it's this just a case of enjoying the hang that's a structural choice. And man, to me, that's a really hard structural choice. Um, so for me to come back, hey, because I always come back to me, I have been working really hard on a single protagonist story that has ranged in point of view from first to third. And now I'm deciding that I would like to give you as a reader a nibble of something else, something that gives you some of the history of what's happening, something that explains some of the magical realism and um, kind of deepens and broadens the chronological experience that the reader is having, but I'm not sure what. So I've got the story. In fact, the story is with my editor, but I'm trying to write a couple of thousand words that are going to tuck in at various places in the book to give the reader more. So, you know, when you when you're thinking about structure, it's it's kind of it's an ongoing process is what I'm getting at here. You're making choices, you're going to do what you do in this moment. You're going to pick a side and write it that way, but there's possibility that you may change it later. You won't lose everything. It's okay. Or that you may find ways to add or expand it. Um, and those are my thoughts on structure. And I hope that they were at least somewhat helpful. I, I don't know about... 
I think it'd be really interesting to make your structural choices um, kind of really different and write to them once, but I haven't done it yet. Although I guess with May and Amanda switching back and forth on the point of view, that was definitely harder. Uh, you know, go me for starting with for starting with that in a first book. Um, and I guess in the same sense that I kind of miss it. So in the same sense that the Twitter character limit is good, the same sense that a haiku is good or um, another kind of a poetic form, the same sense that it's great when you limit yourself to 800 words for an essay or um, two hours to finish something, you know, to get to a certain point and you force yourself to adhere to that structure thinking of a structure that you want to put your book into, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, is going to give you the kind of um, limits and deadlines that help many of us as writers move forward. So that is one reason to pick something hard and stick with it until you get to the end. And now I am at the end. And I will close this out with our usual words of hopeful encouragement. And I'll see y'all next week. Meanwhile, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game.